Duggan. This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I know we have it in the forecast uh, for today for much of the province uh, about this uh, smoke warning, but it appears as though, Claudette, things have cleared out a little bit uh, in this end of the world. Yeah, I mean, I I have noticed that, um, but I've also noticed people, uh, I remember yesterday looking at a community um, page, and people were complaining that they were feeling the effects of the smoke. For certain. I uh, was outside last two days, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you could feel that, uh, uh, that burning in your throat. You could feel it in your eyes a little bit. Um, It was definitely happening, and uh, one of the things that everybody remarked on was the sun. You know, when you... Yes. When the sky is uh, hazy like that, and then you see this little red ball in the sky, you're like, wow, that's different so a lot of people remarking on that but it looks like so the, the sky is a bit clearer, clearer. in the st john's area anyway uh, now there are uh, smoke warnings remain in effect for almost the entire province uh through this evening and into tomorrow so if uh you're outside just be aware of that yeah especially of course if you have any underlying health uh, conditions my husband noticed uh, yesterday which i didn't take the time to notice but he said do you know that if we can't see bell island from cbs couldn't see it because of the haze a- at one point i thought that was interesting you know like you said we're not used to that i mean we've been uh, talking about it and hearing about all of the different effects that the wildfires had but it's only now you know when you're starting to realize that it is affecting you that you're kind of you know perking your ears up even more yeah, for sure. And these are uh, fires that are very far away from where we mm-hmm. happen to be right now. So it's really quite extraordinary, especially when you can smell it. I could smell it in the studio here yesterday. It was really something because we have this system that mm-hmm. pumps out in the, in the fresh air from outside or the <laughs> what we think is going <laughs> to be fresh air, air yeah. from outside. And when I left the, um, the control room for a little while and came back in, man, you could really smell it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, be careful out there, folks. Uh, We're going to have it lingering for a little while yet to come. Well, this is the big story um, that an awful lot of people talking about today. Some questions are being asked about whether or not a controversy surrounding the provincial government's plans for a promise residential school Uh, school apologies will do anything to further truth and reconciliation. Let's back up for a moment, uh, shall we? Um, You may recall that the former Minister of Indigenous and Labrador Affairs and uh, former Premier Dwight Ball had made uh, a a promise, a commitment to uh, conduct a series of provincial government apologies to uh, residential school survivors in Newfoundland and Labrador. And one of uh, it, it all stemmed from a federal government apology, if you recall, that took place in Labrador from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And it was a very um, somber occasion. Uh, there were it was a very emotional time. Um, some of the uh, people in the audience uh, wept 
uh, out loud uh, when hearing the Prime Minister finally acknowledging the pain caused by government um, policies that took children from their parents, uh, took children from their culture, um, and uh, forever changed their lives. And we've talked a lot about intergenerational trauma, and that is one of uh, the... Um, main factors, I would suppose, in recent years anyway, uh, that uh, contributed to um, some of the trauma still felt today in Indigenous communities. Well, the provincial government is starting its process now of um, providing um, formal apologies to people affected by the residential school system. And it is starting tomorrow in Cartwright in Labrador. Um, and uh, this particular event is uh, uh, is going to be um, the Nunatuavut Community Council President uh, Todd Russell and others will be there. And uh, this is what has the Nunatsiavut government um, taken aback. As a matter of fact, the Nunatsiavut government and the Innu Nation have both come forward saying that they don't recognize NCC as a legitimate Inuit um, organization. Now, they have acknowledged that, yes, there are people within NCC who have uh, Indigenous ancestry, but they don't recognize that group's claims or their um, land claims um, attempts over the last little while. So it started... Uh, this decision to start this process tomorrow in Cartwright has started a much larger conversation. So we decided to reach out to the Nunatsiavut government for um, response because they sent out a very strongly worded release last night. Well, Nunatsiavut President Johannes Lamp joins me now. Well, hello, President Lamp. Hello. So the provincial government will be issuing this apology for residential school survivors in Cartwright on Friday. And uh, the Nunatsiavut government has issued a release now expressing its uh, dismay with that. Um, what's your response? Well, uh, certainly uh, having uh, spoken to uh, uh, Premier Andrew Furry himself a few days ago and uh, and advising him that uh, he uh, not uh, do that uh, 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 Russian school apology to uh, the NCC members in uh, Cartwright, and uh, that uh, is, is an insult insult to Nunsiavut uh, government and to Labrador Inuit survivors of Russian uh, schools. And and what was his response to you when you raised these concerns? Well, uh, he he has not gone come back to me, uh, and and I, and I also did, uh, you know, spoke with uh, uh, Lisa Dumpster, who who's the uh, Indigenous Affairs uh, Minister, uh, and, and so uh, I. I, I did also advise her not to go ahead with uh, the uh, apology in, in Cartwright. But uh, the uh, response was not, you know, uh, they, they didn't get back to me. You say this is an insult to uh, new Nazi beneficiaries. Tell us why. Well, uh, the Labrador Inuit uh, work very hard 
to uh, uh, get an apology and also uh, compensation uh, for survivors of uh, resistance cooling. And uh, the Labrador Inuit were at the forefront to uh, make sure that uh, this uh, compensation apology uh, was, was going to happen. Uh, and, and given to uh, Labrador Inuit uh, and land claim agreement beneficiaries and uh, and, 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 and to uh, the, the survivors. And uh, so um, that is an insult where they are going to uh, and, and another indigenous group uh, uh, that, you know, is not respecting and, and uh uh the another indigenous group uh, like like the Labrador Inuit uh, survivors and so that uh, is an insult and uh, uh and, and uh, we are not happy with that so what do you suppose is behind this particular gesture uh could you repeat repeat that please what do you suppose is behind this decision to uh, to make this apology in Cartwright uh, before, uh, as you say, primarily NCC members? Well, uh, I I don't know, uh, I, but I I hope uh, that uh, they will realize that uh, the Labrador Inuit, uh, having done the work with. Uh, uh, former Premier Dwight Powell uh, in collab- collaborating and uh, and most certainly uh, honoring and respecting uh, through discussions uh, when Dwight Powell was Premier that uh, they, they would work uh, with Labrador Inuit uh, and especially the Nunziel government and uh, uh, as government to government, and 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 now they're they're, they're going uh, as a provincial government to an organization uh, that uh, is uh, uh, not not recognized by Labrador Inuit, and then and also the uh, Labrador Inuit Nation as uh, being uh, who who they, who they claim to be. So what will the repercussions of something like this be if uh, if this indeed goes ahead tomorrow? Well, I am I'm, uh, quite sure that uh, more media will be coming out, and uh, and, and so uh, social media, especially uh, from uh, the uh, Labrador Inuit Land Claim Agreement beneficiaries, and and, and also uh, uh, were uh, the uh, leader of the uh, so-called. Uh, Known to how the community council uh, had responded to uh, the release that Nunziel uh, Gum put out, and uh, and, and uh, uh, saying that all of what uh, we we said on the release are lies, and uh, and saying such things as as Nunziel uh, uh, being greedy and and. And 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 all, and all of that, and uh, Labrador Inuit will not be happy uh, being, you know, called liars or uh, greedy, and, and 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 all of that. What does all this do for truth and reconciliation? 
But it's um, a step back or a few steps back uh, from uh, the provincial government of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador uh, and, and most certainly uh, uh, putting um, the relationship that uh, we uh, as uh, residents uh, of Newfoundland and Labrador uh, are being put back and then and, uh, and certainly uh, no, no reconciliation and no healing from what was started uh, over 500 years ago and uh, and and I, I believe um, that this is also an insult to uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, who uh, started uh, uh, the uh, relationship with uh, Indigenous peoples of Canada, I- including Labrador Inuit. And, and, and so uh, where the Prime Minister of Canada came to Labrador to do an apology, uh, to survivors of the uh, uh, residential schools that happened uh, in, in in the various schools uh, in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, and and, and, and so um, it, it's it's sad that uh, the you know uh, Premier and, and uh, Lisa Dempster who is uh, the minister responsible uh, for indigenous peoples uh, within Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, are not uh, responding uh, in a positive way and then not honoring and respecting the uh, Labrador Inuit. And, uh, and we, as a government and, and as a, a people, we want to... Uh, make sure that uh, an apology uh, coming from the province of Newfoundland Labrador will come to Labrador Inuit first. And you're asking for the uh, Minister of uh, Indigenous Affairs to step down from that position? Well, uh, we, we have been. And then uh, uh, I have written to the Premier of Newfoundland Labrador, Andrew Fury. Uh, to uh, remove uh, Lisa Dumpster uh, from the position that she holds as Indigenous Affairs Minister. And and, uh, we, over the last many months, uh, have not uh, gotten a response uh, to that. And and so uh, we are strengthening that uh, uh, gesture, you know, for the Premier to do the right thing and to remove Lisa Dumpster as the uh, Minister of uh, Indigenous Affairs. And that is the president of Nunatia Vot, uh, Johannes Lamp, um, uh, outlining uh, his feelings and uh, the feelings of those of the Nunatia Vot government with the, the, this decision to um, start this process in um, Cartwright tomorrow before a group of NCC members. Well, coming up, we'll hear what the Premier has to say to the concerns raised by President Lamp right after this. this This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. 
are back. Well, before the break, we heard from new Nazi vote president Johannes Lamp, who indicates he's insulted by government's decision to start the formal provincial process of offering apologies to residential school survivors in Cartwright, Labrador to, tomorrow. It's an event uh, put together by the NCC, a group that the new Nazi government does not recognize as an Inuit group. Well, here's Premier Andrew Fury's response to questions from reporters, including VOCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey today on the unfolding controversy. First of all, I completely respect all Indigenous groups and who they represent. It's important uh, to honour the commitment that Premier Ball made in 2017 uh, to apologise to every child, uh, every person from any Indigenous group who attended a residential school. Um, and the tra and the the trauma that they experienced and the subsequent trauma that they are probably still to this day or intergenerational experiencing. So it is uh, important to recognize that there are multiple indigenous uh, groups in the province. I will am fully committed uh, to working with all of them uh, who had members in residential schools uh, to apologize uh, for the role that the provincial government had to play in those schools. Why are you doing this in Cartwright? Why wouldn't you go to Makovic or Nain for this apology? Well, this was uh, set through a long... This, these discussions have been happening for, for five years uh, or more. Uh, well, back in 2017 they started. They were paused for, for the pandemic. And then when I took office, I committed to all Indigenous groups to continue on this path. Uh, this was the first one that was uh, ready and scheduled. I, I am fully committed in the not-too-distant future, immediately, whenever is available, uh, to apologize. And I understand that there's dates being spoken of for apologies in different communities. So you do calls for Minister Dempster to, to resign. 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 Are, are you going to ask her to resign? I have full confidence in all my cabinet. What's your response to the Nazi vote government coming forward and saying that they're showing dissatisfaction for your move here? Mm -hmm. uh, I hope to continue to uh, work with them. Uh, uh, again, towards dates in the, in the very near future. Um, I have the utmost respect and admiration uh, for President Lamp, and as I understand it, the language has been finally uh, finalized uh, within the last 24 hours, uh, and so now we are looking working towards dates. I plan to spend a, the better part of a week on the coast of Labrador uh, through different communities with respect to the NG apology. How does Will this the other two groups accept the apology, considering they're upset that Nunatuva is being apologized to first? Well, I, I certainly hope so. Look, I'm only trying to do what's right here. If you were attending a residential school, your parents attended a residential school, your grandparents attended a residential school, and Newfoundland and Labrador had a role to play in that behavior and that institution, then you deserve an apology. How does this controversy further reconciliation, truth and reconciliation? Well, you know, I'm hope hoping it's not going to be much of a controversy. Hopefully everybody will see that there is an apology that is needed. There is an apology that will be delivered in a timely fashion. Um, and the, the reconciliation is not easy. No one ever said it would be. Someone has to take the first step. This was, this was a matter of timing and availability, and we certainly hope that uh, we can continue the good working relationship we have with the NG and the INU uh, towards uh, recognizing their apology as well. 
So that's the, some of what the premier had to say to reporters today uh, after uh, the New Nazio Vote government put out their release last night and um, followed by the Inu Nation who say they um, they throw their support behind New Nazio Vote on this uh, particular issue. Uh, NCC has come out as well um, uh, quite dismayed with uh, with the response, um, indicating that uh, or, or accusing uh, New Nazio Vote government of spreading lies. Uh, Johannes Lamp addressed that in our conversation earlier. Um, one has to question, though, whether or not uh, this controversy that has erupted uh, will do very much in the way of um, uh, you know, furthering truth and reconciliation. And that was one of the questions that Jerry Lynn Mackey put to the premier. And he, um, um, as of that time, a short while ago, did not believe uh, it to be a controversy. Anyway, we shall see how this all unfolds. Johannes Lamp seemed to suggest that uh, if w- if and when this uh, event takes place in Cartwright tomorrow, there may be a new Nazi of government uh, presence there or a presence of beneficiaries at the very least. So uh, we shall see how this all unfolds. Um, we're going to take a uh, break for the news uh, a little bit early. I hope Richard Duggan is on the ready uh, and we'll have uh, see what you have to say. When we come back after the break, uh, this is Right to Know Week and we'll have a chat with Michael Harvey, the province's privacy commissioner. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And thanks a lot, Claudette and uh, Richard. Well, the Auditor General has uh, taken a strip off the Office of the High Sheriff in her latest audit. The Office of the High Sheriff is responsible for the jury system, court security, as well as receiving and carrying out court-ordered decisions and payments. But Auditor General Denise Hanrahan made it clear that serious gaps remain, especially when it comes to oversight of the office by the Justice Department. Most notably, the absence of financial statement for years from 20. 2018 to 2022. Uh, Auditor General Denise Hanrahan released her report today, and here's what she had to say to reporters earlier today. This audit focused on the Office of the High Sheriff's financial processes, staffing complement and competencies, security systems, and departmental oversight. Every government department, as well as its agencies, had the obligation to fulfill their mandate and legislative responsibilities. That is a fundamental expectation of the public, and it's why we did this audit. The Office of the High Sheriff receives funds from third parties, they hold funds in trust, and they distribute funds to other parties in accordance with court orders. However, the Office's financial statements haven't been completed since the March 2018 year end. Audited financial statements provide a consolidated and independently verified overview of a government entity's financial activities and financial position. The Office of the High Sheriff is the only government entity in my office with outstanding financial statement audits. In my January 2022 annual report, I publicly noted that the Office's financial statements were not complete, potentially increasing the risk of undetected errors or fraud. And for these reasons, we undertook this audit and looked to determine whether the Office of the High Sheriff 
had the financial control processes staff, as well as processes for card and camera system operations, and to determine whether the Department of Justice and Public Safety provided effective oversight to support the office. We concluded that the office did not have the financial control processes or related staff competencies and complement to fulfill its responsibilities for receiving and distributing court-ordered payments. And while controls that did exist were properly designed, at times they were not implemented appropriately or there were gaps in the processes. While fraud was not detected in our testing, the risk of undetected error or fraud could have increased as a result of those gaps in procedures. That risk was further increased by the challenges with consistent staffing in appropriate roles. We also found that the department was slow to respond to the critical financial reporting and vacancies issues within the office of the high sheriff. For example, in 2017, the manager of financial operations was eliminated. It was the following year end that the financial statements stopped being provided for audit. Yet we found limited evidence of any actions to mitigate the impact on the operation at the time of the elimination of the position or to remedy the issue since then. Our audit concluded that the department did not provide effective oversight. As of today, four years of financial statements remain outstanding. I met with Minister Hogan and department officials yesterday to discuss my recommendations that they should create a formalized oversight process, including a review of the legislation to support the high sheriff. The office should ensure financial control processes are complete, documented and implemented, and the office should perform a formal evaluation of its judgment enforcement and accounts branch to ensure that they have the appropriate staff to fulfill administrative and financial control processes. And um, Minister Hogan is currently responding to uh, the concerns and questions raised in the AG's report on the Office of the High Sheriff uh, as we speak. He is speaking with reporters now, including VOCM's Brian Callahan, and we'll have um, all the latest on that in the, uh, over the course of the evening and into tomorrow. Well, as I uh, previously indicated, this is Right to Know Week. We're going to have a chat with the Auditor General, uh, not the Auditor General, I'm sorry, the Privacy Commissioner, when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, this is Right to Know Week, and Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey is helping to highlight the public's right to know and the work of his office in ensuring that the public continue to get the access they are entitled to. Well, Michael Harvey joins me now. Well, hello, Michael Harvey. How are you, Linda? I'm great. So, Right to Know Week, what's it all about? So Right to Know Week uh, it was established in 2002, and it uh, has been about the international celebration of Right to Know principles. So it first started in a, a meeting of Right to Know advocates uh, in Bulgaria, and uh, ever since then it's been adopted by countries and provinces and states uh, all around the world. 
And so how do we usually um, uh, mark or recognize the importance of right to know here in Newfoundland and Labrador? So right to know and, you know, Let's be a little little bit clear what we're talking about here. Right to know is the ability of of citizens to have access to information about what their governments and other public bodies are are doing. Uh, So this is how we keep our governments and public bodies accountable uh, in in a democracy uh, and also – you know, how we uh, get access on a day-to-day basis uh, to information that our public bodies have about us. So it's about, uh, it's about the information that we're entitled to uh, about ourselves, but also the information that we are entitled to about how public bodies are, are governing society in general. So there are uh, 10 right-to-know principles that, that really govern uh, the, how access to information systems uh, work around the world. And so in, on Right to Know, during Right to Know Week, we, we just like to uh, publicize what these, these principles are and, uh, and then just talk about, uh, talk about how, they, how they operate. Because, um, you know, I think, Linda, if, if you were to, you know, read the news uh, here in Newfoundland Labrador on a daily basis, um, you know, a, a good number of those news stories are, you know, they refer to, um, you know, access to information records show, you know, information about long-term care homes or information about water quality or uh, information about, um, you know, residential schools apologies. So, you know, the media uses access to information all the time in order to get information to, uh, you know, to, to, to share with the public, um, to, to help our, our democracy remain accountable. But in this province, in Newfoundland Labrador, and this is a little unusual, it's a very good thing, um, but uh, more, more here than anywhere else, the users of the access to information system are individuals. Uh, just uh, average citizens who have some reason or not to try to get information uh, from their public bodies, from government departments or agencies, boards and commissions. And so that's a really good thing. Uh, that's something that has emerged in the last number of years, and that's something that's worth celebrating. But it's also, you know, we, we might, after this many years of the, the new Access to Information Act uh, being enforced, we, we may, you know, you might start to take for granted um, it's important to just reflect on, you know, how it works and why it works in the way that it does, uh, so because it deserves to be protected. Absolutely, and and uh, I suppose in, in important to stay vigilant so that uh, that access isn't eroded in any way. Absolutely, uh, it uh, because it's not it's not easy. Uh, access to information is is a lot of work uh, for for public bodies, uh, and uh, and it consumes their resources. And uh, you can and sometimes it's not something that um, you know that they're absolutely thrilled about. And, um, you know sometimes the information that is coming out through access to information requests uh, requests is a little awkward, uh, hard to explain. Uh, sometimes it can be embarrassing. Um, and often it takes a lot of work uh, when you're when you're trying to do something else. So from the perspective of a of a government department, you know, trying to deal with um, you know a major public policy issue, uh, and someone comes uh, and looks for uh, some information, 
And uh, sometimes the questions can lead to responses that are, you know, thousands of pages long. And um, that can be, um, I I think, for public bodies, quite frustrating. Uh, You know, before I was uh, commissioner, I was uh, worked as executive in the Department of Health and Community Services, an extremely busy department. And uh, I know that it was a struggle for us um, back in in those years. And uh, I know that it continues to be. And uh, but that said, it is, you know, these are, are this is a democratic government, and it is part of the government department's role to um, uh, to provide information to citizens. That's a that's a critical part of the role. It, it sometimes is, uh, and so therefore, Right to Know Week is, I think, an important uh, time to to reflect on the hardworking public servants uh, in those departments that do a lot of that work, and and often it's very thankless work. Um, but uh, do a lot of the work to find the documents that people are looking for, to examine them through the lens of the law and to determine what can be released and and what can't, uh, and to do that all under pretty strict timelines. Uh, So Right to Know Week is a a good opportunity for us to reflect on uh, on not only what a privilege we have uh, to have access to this information, but also the amount of work that goes into making that system work. I think a lot of people would agree that it's uh, essential to the democratic process uh, that governments are uh, open and accountable when it comes to the decision-making that they uh, are uh, doing, especially as it affects our lives. But uh, does the process sometimes get bogged down, I suppose, with nuisance requests? Well, you know, it it certainly... Uh, gets, I wouldn't say it gets bogged down with nuisance requests, but there are provisions in the Act for us to examine, uh, for public bodies to, to come to our office and say, listen, this this request is a, a vexatious request, and, uh, and so it, it needs to be discarded. And uh, or disregarded is the term that we use, um, and uh, so that uh, a public body can make a decision to disregard a request if it's not made in good faith or if it's a nuisance request, and this happens. Uh, sometimes people are uh, looking for, a, you know, have some beef with the department, some personal grievance, and and some sometimes you see that it's actually pretty rare. Um, but it occurs, and sometimes these grievances can be disruptive to the department and not consistent with the principles of, of access to information. Sometimes, what you know, uh, what a department's view of what a nuisance is, and what and I think what a what a complainant's view, what our view of what a nuisance is, is, is a bit different. I mean, sometimes you, you know you'll get some responses, particularly from from people with without a lot of experience working in the system, saying, you know, why. You know why is so and so looking for this? You know this is um, this is irrelevant information, or you know this is a, a, a foolish question or not an important question. And what are they looking for this for? It you know our act and similar acts like it across the country and around the world. Uh, you know they say that 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 question isn't relevant. Citizens have a right to ask whatever questions they want, um, and it, it's not a a concern about why they might want the question. Uh, I will say that that is an important reason why, uh, during the access to information uh, process, it, the law requires that the identity of the applicant be kept anonymous, um, so that uh, so that the, the decision maker in the public body uh, does not know who is making the the access request. 
I'll say that when when complaints come to my office, I usually try to keep the complainant's uh, identity um, anonymous from myself. I'm not I'm not really subject to the same bias, but just in case, uh, unless unless it's relevant for me to know who the complainant is, I I also keep their identity uh, uh, protected from me. Um, because you know it, it it is there is that temptation uh, to fall into um, uh, into treating access requests like it's some sort of adversarial uh, process, and like the that the public bodies have information and the public is out there trying to get this information, and our job is to try to keep as uh, as much of it from them as possible. Uh, that is a real trap to fall into that kind of thinking, and that is an old school uh, of thinking about information that we need to get beyond. And I think we've made some strides in getting beyond it because the main principle behind access to information laws here and everywhere else is that the public has a right to know. Like that's right in the, the title of the week. The, the the right the the right to access information is just that a right, and the, the courts have recognized that this is a quasi constitutional right. It undergirds our, our democracy. So the default is that under the law, that you have the right to the information. Now there are re- exceptions. It's important that there be exceptions uh, to the right of access, so that the government can actually function. I mean the government. It, it couldn't uh, function properly, for example, if cabinet documents were uh, were made uh, public, because our system is based on a cabinet government system where cabinet ministers need to be able to have their deliberations privately. So it's important that Iraq pr- pr- uh, protects that confidentiality within the cabinet system. It's important that our public uh, servants be able to advise politicians candidly and openly, and so policy advice is also an exception to access. But what's important here is that all of these exceptions are just that, exceptions. The default is, and that's the starting point in the analysis, is the citizen has a right to the information. And and then the the analysts, and this is where the hard work of, of the access to information coordinators comes in, then they need to figure out, okay, what of the exceptions apply and are do they meet legal scrutiny? Michael Harvey, a pleasure as always. Uh, happy Right to Know Week. Thank you very much, Linda. It was great to talk to you. And Michael Harvey, of course, is the province's privacy commissioner. Well, uh, Claudette, did I, I noticed you're at work today. <laughs> you didn't win the gold ball jackpot. Oh my gosh! I was. I, this is one of the first things I did. I googled the winner, Toronto. Yeah, naturally, right? Of course, yeah. And then even those sub prizes were in, I think, Ontario. And I'm like, oh yeah, great. Yeah. Happy for them. Woohoo! I'm so <laughs> glad that I contributed to your winnings. Yes, I was um, so, you know, thinking just happy and hyper yesterday. But uh, $68 million, mm-hmm. I mean, where? what would you do? Is it a blessing or a curse, you wonder? Yeah, I mean, I understand, but I would like to have those problems to go through. To <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm one of those people, I don't know, maybe it's because I haven't won it, but I would like to see more winners with a little less money, but you know, the more people that buy into it, that's how the jackpot grow, grows. Because like you know, 
Well, it's amazing. You know, we talk about the cost of living and mm-hmm. all of that going up, but a uh, million dollars in this day and age. Yeah, it's not going to get you into retirement. You know, uh, it'll it'll take care of a few, you know, pressing needs and mm-hmm. might get you a trip or some fun stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. it's not going to be over the top anymore like it used to be. No, no, it wouldn't. But I mean, it certainly would help, but you no doubt. $68 million, my God. The people you could help, the charities you could help, the life-changing things you could do with it, and, of course, have funny, fun with that as well. The first thing, I think, if I were to win that money, which would not happen, would be to get an advisor on, on how oh, to manage it. you have to. Because that would be a full-time job you in itself, trying to manage to. that money. And you'd have to go underground, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, because there, wouldn't your freedom go as well? Well, in a, in a big way, it would, because uh, you, you think now, I mean you know there are going to be certain people who are going to approach you, whether they be uh, people in your life or um, organizations that you've um, supported in the past or Mm -hmm. even organizations that you haven't supported but are out there and are aware of you now. Yeah. (laughs) If you know what I'm saying. And then there's going to be everybody else. And the safety issue, too. Right. Uh, So, you know... Would you want that kind of a burden? I would um, like it to be anonymous. You know, I, I, as much as I want to know who wins, at the same time, if it were me, I would want it to be anonymous. But, to protect you know, myself. in a way, it has to be public. You know what yeah, I mean? If I you're giving it. that kind of money away, it has to be mm-hmm. public. So anyway, uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, to weigh there. I mean, we all wonder, well, what would I do if I didn't have a mortgage anymore? What would I do if I could, you know, uh, give as much money as possible to my children to make sure that they, you know, never have to worry again? Uh, what if, you know, this and what if that? You know, we all go in those little fantasy places. I'd love to see Australia. I'd love to go to China. I'd love to do this, you know, all of those trips that are perhaps a little bit out of our reach. Reach. Um, Or I'd like to just buy a house in Bahamas and live there forever. You know, who knows, right? Yeah, Um, endless. We've all had these weird little thoughts cross our mind, but $68 million? Wow. I hope it's split between a few people. Yeah, I do too. Would be nice. I'd like to see as many people as possible be able to um, avail of that for sure. Yeah, but uh, then that starts fights too, because how do you split it up? I well, know. I bought five tickets. Well, I bought two, you know? Oh, I, I mean, I do not envy that part of it mm-hmm. because there is a lot of negativity that comes with it, but people would say, you know, hey, I'd give. That comes part of the parcel, so yeah, you, you'd end up just dealing with that and enjoying what you could. But yeah, the negative part about it, not so much. Not a big fan. Yeah, and I see. You know, um, this the, the winner was uh, in Toronto, so mm-hmm. it's the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. But yeah. man, I don't know. Do you watch any sports? No, not really. <sighs> Toronto. The ads for online gaming are absolutely overwhelming yeah and they sponsor everything and it's all in ontario of course um but uh wow you have to wonder if um this might not lead to bigger problems down the road i mean it's just a question i'm asking right but uh it is overwhelming if you're watching any games on uh, television you're absolutely bombarded with these ontario the the, online gambling ads uh, I'm yeah I mean I have my own opinions on that as well I mean that's almost intrusive isn't it you know the actual some of these and then there's a a lot of people out there who who do like sports Mm -hmm. um who you know have struggled 
Oops. because it becomes an addiction. Yeah, it is. And um, uh, who have struggled. And so all of that must be very triggering, uh, to borrow the phrase that is used. Uh, you know, um, anyway, uh, it's a bigger conversation and we're not going to get <laughs> anywhere with it now. But um, it's just... Uh, prompts a lot of thought doesn't it anyway that's it for us for today we'll be back tomorrow do join us then uh, and have a great evening everyone